If you have your Bibles, please open them to Luke 10, Luke 10, 38 through 42. We are, Lord willing, going to uh, move to uh, a, a series on the book of Romans um, later this month. My target date is March 20th. Uh, there's a possibility I'll get there earlier, one week, but I'm going to set a little bit farther date just in case I don't. Uh, and I'd like to try to get the word out a little bit too, if we could, about, about that social media-wise. But Romans is a book that, um, it's an amazing book. It's, and I, I don't want to go too far. I'll talk more about Romans as we get closer to that date or when we open it. But Romans is a, is a book that, um, as I've thought about and prayed about what to do, a big question that, that keeps coming back to me is, why would you not? Like, why would you not teach this book? And, and the, the glorious truths that are revealed in Romans in a way that revealed in no other letter in the Bible, it's worthy of our attention. So we'll talk more about that coming later this month. Uh, but in the, in the next couple of weeks as I'm kind of preparing that, I have a couple of other one-off messages that I, I feel uh, would be good for us. And uh, I actually had a plan to uh, preach to you guys um, on a specific passage. And I, I really... F- sensed in the Lord, I, I pray this was him, that, that he wanted me to actually not preach that message, but actually take me to this passage. Um, I love preaching expositionally through a book of the Bible. It's very good and all kind, for all kinds of reasons, but I also, uh, in, I, I also want to always be waiting on the Lord if he wants to interrupt my plan with a sense of his plan. And that did happen this week. And, um, and so I felt that the Lord led me to uh, a beautiful story that many of you guys know, uh, the story of Martha and Mary and the good portion. So that's our message today. We're gonna to focus on just about uh, four or five verses here. And the title of the message is Martha, Mary, and the good portion. So would you guys l- listen with me with prayerful, devoted hearts as I uh, preach, as I, as I speak the very words of God from Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. These are the very words of the Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful story as I as I looked at this and delved deeper into it. Like many stories, especially narratives, I just thought to myself, could we just do two months on this one story? There's just more shades of color and jewels of insight that come, you know, as you look at this story longer and longer. Uh, and my brain has a hard time compacting it all, which is why I end up preaching for two hours on a Sunday. But I'm really committed not to do that today, by God's grace. Uh, but th- this event is famous because it's beautiful. It's beautiful for all kinds of ways, uh, particularly the Lord's gentle, kind response to a well-meaning but, but misguided uh, child of God. And, and, um, and so we're going to take a look at this and try to f- glean from it where the Lord might want to guide us and help us to see. This event takes place, and, and I think this is really important to see, this event takes place in the context of what I think in scripture in the life of Jesus is the most massive, successful, intense, large outreach ministry that I'm aware of goes on in the gospels in Jesus' lifetime. Not, not after Pentecost because everything big, huge happens. I mean, big, huge stuff happens after Pentecost. But in, in, in the gospels, this is an amazing season of ministry. Jesus empowers 70 men to go through all of Judea in pairs and and preach the gospel throughout Israel. And he gives them authority to heal diseases and to cast out demons. And it works. They do it. They crush it for, you know, it might've been a few weeks 
because of course they had to walk wherever they went. And so they're healing the sick. They're casting out demons. Incredible ministry is happening all around them. And, and then on the heels of that ministry, just before, right before this little dinner with Martha and Mary, Jesus tells one of the most famous parables of all time, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable that tells us to, what does it really mean to love our neighbor and what it really means to love our neighbor means to display sacrificial care for them in their need. So kingdom work is really happening big time and kingdom vision for love of neighbor abounds in, in the context of this story. And it's after those two things that Luke places this story. And this story is not about miraculous ministry, as wonderful as it is. This story is not about loving our broken and hurting neighbor, as right and commanded as that is. This story is about what is better and more important than either of those. This story is about what is better and more important than either of those. And this story is about what is a means to both of those kinds of ministries. This story is about the better portion that must not be pushed out of our central focus. This story is about what is most important. This story is calling us to one thing above all things devotion to Jesus, devotion to Jesus above all things. In this text, we see true, two crucial aspects of devotion. And you, you, if you spend enough time in it, you'll probably see many other aspects, but I saw two crucial aspects and I didn't plan this, but after I saw these two aspects, I went to Webster's and I looked at what the definition of devotion was in the Webster's Dictionary. And to sum up without going into the specific definitions, there were two categories, really, attention and loyalty. Attention and loyalty. Those were really, you could sum up what devotion is in Webster's Dictionary with those two themes, attention and loyalty. And I kid you not, you know, I'm not, those were the two themes that, that I saw. Devotion marked by displayed by, revealed by attention and loyalty. And this is what marks Mary. And it's what doesn't mark Martha. Mary's devotion to Jesus is revealed in her attention to him above all else going on and her loyalty to him above all else going on. So I want to take each one and look at that and then try to draw some application. So first, Jesus had Mary's attention above all else. What was devotion in this story? What is devotion in our lives? Jesus had Mary's devoted attention above all else. So this story takes place in, probably it takes place in Bethany. Luke doesn't say that specifically, but we know if, unless Martha had a couple of different homes, this takes place in Bethany. And it's a picture of a quiet dinner at Martha's house and their sisters. So it's possible that Mary lived with her sister and maybe Martha was older and got the inheritance. We don't know all the details, but that seems very possible. And this is of course, later on in John 10, we'll, we'll, in John 11, we'll see about, about um their brother Lazarus and what Jesus does to, to raise him. So Jesus loves these ladies. He loves these women. They are functionally, they are his dearest, some of his dearest friends. They're, they're his sisters. They're his BFFs. He loves these kids. I'm, I, you know, I say that endearingly. And there's this beautiful little quiet dinner going on. But really the heart of this story is Mary. Her posture, her heart. That's, that's what God beams in on in this in terms of what he wants us to see and emulate. We, he wants us to see Mary's heart as she embraces Jesus above all. And what's interesting is we never hear a word for Mary. She doesn't say anything in the story. The only description we get in terms of what she's doing is she had, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. 
That's all we hear about her doing. We get a little picture from a little Greek construction I'll talk about in a little bit. But, but otherwise, this is it. No words from Mary to be provoked by, to correct, to encourage. No demon exercised in this passage from her. Literally, she doesn't, literally, she doesn't lift a finger. That's what gets her into trouble with her sister in this story. She's just sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to him, listening to his word, hanging on it, devoted to it, attending to it. She wanted to hear what he had to say. He was teaching. She was listening. Mary was devoting her attention to Jesus above all else. But Martha, Martha, Luke says, was distracted. He doesn't even say like she was constructively attending to. He says she was distracted with much serving. And it's not like she was distracted with much gambling or much drinking or much scrolling through Facebook. She's distracted with much serving. What a weird way to put that. And she goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Woo. Martha was really distracted and it was obviously affecting her heart. The irony was that Martha thought that she was doing the right thing. She was doing the decent thing. Her sister was blowing off her duty. But if Martha had stopped before she implicitly accused her sister, she, if she would have stopped to listen to Jesus, she would have known soon enough there was a much better place to be and a much more right place to be than in the kitchen. And she calls Jesus Lord. But the irony is in this story, she's the boss. Like she's the Lord. She's got the agenda. She knows what's going on. Jesus needs to get in line with her plan. Martha needs to get in line with her. Mary needs to get in line with her plan. So she really was not functionally in her heart of hearts serving out of love. She's just distracted by what she really wants to get done. What she really needs to have happen now. What she says is most urgent. But, but Luke just calls it distractions. He just says, this is distractions. This is busy, busy, busy body work. It's, it's not bad stuff at all. So it's a little bit like, it's all about relative to what? Like the thing you're doing that you think is really good, it might be great, but, but are you missing something? And what you're missing really might define what you think is great as not great, but a real distraction. She's over busy. That's what that word means. She's overburdened. She's consumed by more and what she shouldn't be consumed by. She's consumed by everything except the one thing that matters. And this is probably the simplest, most accessible lesson that it's probable that Luke wants us to get from this story. He wants to say to us, be like Mary, not like Martha. Listen to Jesus, prioritize him make attention to him and time with him in his word. Really practically, there's a very practical lesson about time listening to Jesus' words in this story and making that a priority. Make it a priority like you make food a priority. Jesus will call this Mary's portion. He's, he's using a plan words. It's, it's a food term. Martha's out there cooking portions for dinner, some fish, probably maybe. And Jesus is saying, oh, Mary's got her portion. It's better than what you're making in the kitchen right now. We'll get to that later, but this is better. And Jesus is saying to be my disciple, you must eat my food. You must learn from me. You must sit at my feet, spend time with me, attend to me, listen to me, learn from me. So Jesus came in his own words to make disciples He came to make disciples. That's probably one of my biggest historical concerns in evangelism, in outreach, which is so important and which I really do think we need to grow in as a church and I need to grow in as a pastor in my heart for that. But one of my biggest concerns is, is what happens after the prayer is prayed? What happens after the tract is given and the interchange is made? That's one of the reasons why I love the local church, why I love being a pastor, because Jesus didn't tell us to make decisions He told us to make disciples and disciples stay. They study, they learn. They're faithful over the long haul 
disciples, that word really means student, a student, and not the kind of, you know, student that goes to driving school and comes home, you know, and gets done with that or goes to middle school and can't stand it because it's so oppressive, which I know it can be. No, these are people who are really committed and devoted. That's the right word, devoted students, devoted students. The disciples that Jesus had lived with him for three years, walked everywhere he walked, followed him everywhere he went, tried to do the things he did, listened to every word he said. They were devoted students. It was a known vocation to be a disciple of a rabbi, was to be his devoted student, to travel with him, to to hang on his every word. Jesus came to make us devoted students of him and practically speaking, devoted to his words. So if we pray a prayer when we're younger, we pray a prayer with someone in a tract interchange, but then we leave sitting at Jesus' feet by the wayside and we give him our fumes, and every once in a while we, you know, we show up to church and we just don't think about him or we just don't go to church. We don't cling to his people. We don't really devote ourselves to him and his words and his commands. We're fooling ourselves. We're not his disciple. Disciples are devoted to him and to his commands and to his call. And because of that, we'll talk about this later, they are devoted to reaching the lost. They are devoted to loving his people in a local church. But it's because of him. First and foremost, they're devoted to him. And so this is a good time to ask this question. Does Jesus have our attention? That's so central to what it means to be an authentic, devoted disciple, which is the only kind of people that Jesus wants. That's the only kind of people he called us to make. I don't mean he doesn't want you if you're not there yet, but that's what he wants to make you, a devoted disciple. So are you devoted to him with your attention? Are you giving him your attention? Are you Devoted to him as a priority above other things. Good things, trivial things. Are we consumed with the things that are distracting us from the best thing? I mean, what's so interesting is like, there's good things Mary's doing here. Like she isn't scrolling, but, but how much do we give ourselves to just trivial things? Binging on TV shows or, or worse, right? I mean, I mean, we give ourselves we go straight into the 7-Eleven and there's, <laughs> let's just use a, a really, maybe a base metaphor here, but there's, we're hungry. We need food, we need nourishment. And we go into 7-Eleven and 7-Eleven isn't bad necessarily because over there, there's, there's cantaloupes, there's yogurt and there's eggs and there's bananas but we go over to the Slurpee machine and we look for the Slurpee machine that says broken, no ice, syrup only. And we put our cups under the syrup machine and we just pour about a big gulp size, 24 ounce of syrup and we chug it down and we wonder why we're lackadaisical in our spiritual lives or why we feel tired, why we feel weary, or why Jesus isn't attractive to us. Because we're just drinking spiritual syrup, sugar syrup all day long. Netflix and our phones and our TV shows. And, and Jesus says, oh man, I mean, gosh, even if it's, even if it's fixing your car, Even if it's studying hard to get into the college you want to get into or get your kid into the high school or college you want them to get into and you're blowing me off. Like, it's not right, right? Like, be devoted to me. Prioritize me. Take the time every day to be with me. If that show is worth watching every night, and binging on every night. If that social media thing is, is in your mind, we're scrolling every day. If, if eating food is worth doing every day, well, Jesus is more important than all of those things. All of them. So, Lord, help us to pay attention to him every day with devoted time that we can. Now, if you are crushed 
by responsibilities at home as a mom or as a you know, single parent and you've got like 16-hour shifts, I'm not talking about burdening you because you're not having a George Mueller style two-hour quiet time in the morning. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about giving Jesus fumes instead of getting with him, crying out to him, looking at his word, begging him to show you good things and feed you good things and listening to what he has to say to you because that's what it means to be a disciple, to be like Mary, to be at his feet, to listen to him and to treasure what he says and prioritize him in his actual words. Like that's what Mary was doing, you know. She was listening to his actual words. And and listen, we've got him here. You know, we've got his actual words. And we've got wonderful books by other Christian authors who really love him, who will help us understand these words too. Worth listening to Jesus through them too. But above all things, to grapple with these words, to struggle with these words, to fight in our hearts, to treasure these words, to fight with our eyes spiritually, to see in these words and to cry out to God, open our eyes to these words. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's what Mary's doing and Jesus couldn't be happier with her. And poor Martha is missing out. You know, one of the things that was so stirring to me last week when we did our extended praise and worship, which was two weeks ago or was it last week? I don't remember things since I had kids. But one of the things that was so stirring about last week was, was how many of you brought some hope some experience, some fruit in obedience, some insight that was rooted in your engagement with the word of God. Like there were eight people who shared last week and I I loved every single one of them and every single one of them had something from the Lord in them. But I did note that I think at least seven of those eight people specifically brought verses from God's word that had just really shaped their heart and shaped their experience and shaped their activity. You brought some insight that was rooted in your engagement with the words that Jesus spoke or the words that his apostles spoke, which are also his words. And it's just a beautiful thing. It's a, I mean, I don't want to like pat ourselves on the back, but that's a very hopeful sign of our health as a little tiny church that he's here and he's at work to see his word coming out in your experience, in your hearts. That's what's going on with Mary in this story. She's soaking in his words. It's ministering to her. It's changing her. It's nourishing her. I've been a Christian for 30 years, almost this August. And I've been in some form of uh, related to pastoral ministry most of those years, the majority of those years, I've been around pastoral ministry circles as a pastor or like on staff trying to help other pastors get overheads ready. You know, remember worship with overheads? I used to do that as a youth leader, help my youth pastor get that together. So I, I've just been in the, in the Christian, you know, culture. I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I've just been around the family of God for like 30 years. And maybe, you know, I, I want to be careful, but arguably in my mind heart, the most common denominator of the mark of those who lives evidence a deep abiding fruit producing love for God, stability in life relative to who they are because stability is really relative to our temperament. But, but those folks who are most marked by just joy for the Lord fruit for the Lord hanging in there with him in suffering and peace with him are the folks who typically make daily time for him in his word and in his prayer. And I'm not trying to be legalistic about this. But listen, when you're, when you're in the desert, it's not legalism to take a lot of water. <laughs> right? It's just, it's the way life is. When you're in the desert, you need to drink a lot of water. And we're in the desert of a fallen world and we need to regularly take in his water. That's not legalism. That's, that's just the way things go. That's reality. And conversely, it's not uncommon that that my times of poorest spiritual experience, of greatest discouragement, of deepest lull and numbing, 
and, and of those I know, times of backsliding or coldness, lack of real growth and maturity are, are marked by, by when we're making very little time for, for prayer to him, crying out to him, being in his word. I've just seen that. And, and of course, listen, there are qualifications here. And I could do a whole message on qualifications about mental illness or, or grieving. Um, there are qualifications you can probably, serious trauma. So I, I but I don't want to, I don't want us to, you know, and, and the need for self-care, but I, I don't want to create these categories so that we really take the teeth out of the things Jesus says. Because this is what Jesus wants us to know. And it is really, you know, I, the eye test in my life bears it out and his word bears it out more importantly that giving attention and time to Jesus and his words is so crucial. So crucial. So I want to look a little bit more deeper. Let's look at the, the, the second aspect here that I saw about Mary's devotion. What is it that makes devotion real? And it's this. Jesus had Mary's loyalty. She had Mary's devoted loyalty above else. He had Mary's devoted loyalty above else. She had his loyalty So Martha goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, before we get too hard on Martha, let's give her proper credit. There were reasonable things to do. Jesus doesn't come in and yell at her because she's in the kitchen, right? She's in the kitchen, she kind of gets into trouble with the Lord when she starts grumbling and complaining and telling him what to do. But before that, he's not going out to scold her. She's making fish. Let's just say she's making fish. I don't know if she is, but let's just engage. It's a good guess. So there are important things to do. There's a dinner and bless her heart. She isn't scrolling through social media or binging on the Marvel movies, which I'm not saying you can never look at those things, okay? But she's doing a wholesome, constructive Good thing, a work of service, getting food ready for her guests. Which is what makes this twist so really, I think, important and astonishing. Because as good as that was, it should have taken a backseat to what Jesus wanted for her in that moment. And she missed it because she wasn't listening to him. She wasn't paying attention. So Jesus says to her, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Now in the Greek, that Martha, Martha, it's beautiful. It's emotional. It's compassionate. It's such a beautiful thing. You know, when Jesus gets in the, in the face of his disciples, these wonderful ladies, his, his young men, and says, Martha, you know, don't you just long for him to just come to you and just say, Holly. Listen, and, he, and he, he, he's tender with Martha. He's not yelling at her. He's not turning tables on her. He knows she's not out there, you know, like in a mess lab or getting ready to steal money from the poor. I mean, she is just working, and he, but he's, she's just in the wrong place in her heart. So he lovingly says, Martha, Martha, you know, and, and she's trying to say to him, you, you got all these things you're really stressed about right now worried about a bunch of things. There's one thing. There's one thing to be concerned about. And you know, that is true. That in all the things that we have to be concerned about, they all should come under the umbrella of the one thing. And if they come under the umbrella of that one thing, the Lord can work peace in those things and order in those things. Because there is one thing that's necessary to be concerned about. Being a disciple of Jesus, which is often difficult, is very simplifying. It's not, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's very simplifying. In our lives, there are an infinite amount of things to be troubled and anxious about all the time. And Jesus says, in love and in compassion for that weight and that burden, he says, listen, there's really one necessary concern. I'm not saying you shouldn't grieve, I'm not saying you can't come to me with your anxieties. Yes, but there's one thing to really be gripped by. There is one necessary concern and God wants us to give our hearts not to the 
secondary infinite concerns that will overwhelm us, but to the one necessary concern above all other concerns, that when we get that, the more we get to that proper concern, the more all these other concerns, they, they start to line up in their right orbit. You know, like, like Piper used the analogy of the, the solar system. That when the, the son of our hearts, the son of God, when he has his rightful place in our hearts, all the other planets of our lives, they, they get into the right place and they get into the right alignment. He doesn't erase them. We don't not have jobs or marriages or divorces or tragedies, but they get into the right alignment as we get right with him and as we prioritize him. So he says, there's one thing and it's loyalty to me. It's loyalty to me above all other things, above all other people, above all other treasures, above all other concerns. Be loyal to me. Be concerned with me. Be concerned with me above all things. And, and we'll work all these other things out. That's what he's saying here. Daryl Bach writes about Martha. He says, she's anxious and troubled about many things. And in her focus on these things, she is forgetting the most important person. And let's think about Mary now for a second. Because I think in this context, there's a little bit of a nuance that's really good for us to consider. It wasn't simply that Mary was sitting instead of working on the food. It wasn't simply that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus instead of working on the food. There's a deeper heart thing going on here. Mary had her loyalties right and Martha didn't. Mary had her loyalties with the person of Jesus and Mary, Martha didn't. And because Jesus was Mary's priority in that moment and not other things, as nice and good as they might have been, Mary was in the right place for her at that moment. Here's what I'm trying to say. There was stuff for Mary to do in her life. Like if Mary had a job, like let's say that she cleaned fishermen's nets, then surely, since Jesus didn't call her to travel with him everywhere, at some point, putting Jesus in the right place in her heart would mean she needed to be a good witness in her place of employment and do hard work as unto him and serve her boss as unto the Lord and not just sit and listen to Jesus. That, that was important for her to get to at some point. There was, there was going to be a time for that. And because Mary's loyalty was to Jesus, he would help her see when the right time was for that work. An another way of saying this is that we love others best when we love God most. We love others best when we love God most. See, Jesus is to be our highest loyalty above all loyalties. And, and he's to be the reason why we give ourselves to other loyalties, secondarily, secondary loyalties. It, in every situation you are in, in every situation you are in, you are there with Jesus and you are there for Jesus. And it doesn't mean there's not fun and pleasure and delight in store for you. In many situations there is. You know, we talked about this before. When you have a cheeseburger, you don't say, Lord, I won't enjoy this cheeseburger. All glory to you. All praise to you. I eat this only for you. I don't care about this cheeseburger. That's, that's weird and crazy. No, you eat the cheeseburger. You taste the delicious burger juices and the delicious melty cheese. And you say, God, you are awesome. This burger is so good. This cheese is so good. And maybe it's a, um, you know, it's an um, impossible burger if you're in that place of, you know, if that's where you are, I love impossible burgers. But the point is, in everything you're in, your loyalty to him is to stay fixed. So what this means is that we're not to be, in a sense, in the dynamics of the story, we're not to be slaves to any person or any task except for 
being slaves to any personality text for the sake of in keeping with loyalty to Jesus. I don't think I'm communicating this well, so I'm going to keep going here. Martha wanted Jesus to tell Mary to be loyal to what Martha wanted, the good task of getting dinner ready. And that was a fine task. But Mary's first loyalty was not to Martha's expectations for her. It was to Jesus and his expectations for her. And so because of that, she was in the right place and not in the wrong place. It would not have served Martha for Mary to kowtow to her demands and get in that kitchen and serve. It wouldn't even have been good for Martha. It would have reinforced Martha's agenda. Martha was served by Mary refusing to reinforce Martha's agenda and letting Jesus handle that. Because Jesus is... He's the loyalty. Whatever we do, he's the loyalty. And he's the only loyalty that leads to real freedom, real joy, real peace. Because he's the only right first loyalty. You were made for loyalty to Jesus. Giving your heart to any loyalty above Jesus, it never works. It always ends up in a car wreck. A fender bender or a total loss. Some on that continuum. So... For instance, if your first loyalty is not to Jesus, but to please yourself, like what am I going to get out of this person, this DR group, this care group, this work situation? What am I going to get out of this marriage or what am I going to get out of this friendship? If that's your absorbing concern, you will not be able to find Jesus there. He's not going to to write that check for you. Because he's not going to fund your idolatry that will only lead to pain for you, ultimately. Selfishness, self-absorption that he wants nothing to do with, that he doesn't want for you, and that you'll find no lasting peace in. And, and I have all kinds of qualifications about how, and we'll get there in a second, how that doesn't mean, again, that we become slaves to people. I'm talking about your loyalty not being first to getting what you want according to your desires, not godly desires, not desires Jesus has for you, but going into situations and saying, what am I going to get out of this thing? It's, it's a dead end. If, however, if your forced loyalty is to please another person, friendship, daughter, wife, spouse, brother, sister, you will find yourself twisting every which way to serve that person who was never made for that kind of loyalty who can't handle that kind of loyalty or be blessed by it ultimately. Because none of us were made to receive that kind of loyalty. loyalty. And we, we naturally repel it like it's weird to us. We don't want it. Or we abuse it because we're really messed up. So w- when you give your heart first to another human being, you might open yourself up to a kind of abuse and mistreatment that has nothing to do with, with suffering for Jesus' name. And it has everything to do with just the slavery to a person and their expectations and their demands. But if, if your first loyalty is to Jesus in every relationship, in every situation, he will give you what you need to be a blessing to that person. He will fill you with a healthy kind of love for them. He will give you strength and power to care for them not from a place of what you can get out from, of them and not from a place of your fear of not getting what you want out of them, but from a place of fullness in him, of being filled with security in him and fullness of his love. He, when you commit yourself to him, to be loyal to him above all in those relationships, he will give you the kind of courage needed to say hard things, to stand your ground when folks want things for you or from you that you shouldn't give them. He will give you the kind of courage to be patient and forbearing with them and their weaknesses when you should, instead of, you know, flying off the handle and being angry. You know, I remember a a really big lesson for me that I have to continue to learn in my parenting. There's John who has suffered 
and prospered in different relations to my good and bad parenting. But I remember a really crucial moment in, um, in, my, in, my, uh, in a dad-to-dad meeting we had uh, years ago. And one of the dads was talking about um, how important it was to represent Jesus when you're dealing with your kids and not yourself. And it, and, it, and it was just like God just put his finger on my heart, you know. It was such a, a crucial moment for me. And I, I sadly, I have to continue to go back to this and ask God for help. But, but I, I saw in that moment the difference in my parenting. When I was parenting my kids, not for myself, not with my authority, but for the Lord. And he's a much better parent in me than I am. Like he's way more patient. He's, man, I, I, I want to take my time because I think this is important. I just don't want to confuse you guys. When the Holy Spirit gives you power to represent him and his ends in the lives of other people, it's so freeing. You can say no to the right things to say no to. You can say yes to the right things to say yes to when Jesus is your priority. And when your kids experience that, they don't experience an out of control, angry parent who's filled with their own demands and and what you've not done for them. And sadly, John can testify, he's seen that dad plenty. Sorry to put you on the spot, buddy. But in my best moments, and by God's grace, sometimes there are those, John experiences, you know, Gentle, loving correction, gentle, loving friendship. And I I want you to experience that more. Jesus knows how to care for your needs and protect you if you give yourself fully to him. He won't leave you deprived of the joy and love that he alone can give. Even as you have to go through suffering, he will see that you get it just like he protected Mary. We see that in her. She's devoted to him. She doesn't move an inch in this story. When Martha comes up all frustrated with her and frustrated with Jesus, she has the courage to stay where she is because she's focused on Jesus. And she'll know when it's time to go and get the plates. She can just ask Jesus. I mean, it's very simple for her that night. It's not always that simple for us. Counsel, the word, time, but, but Jesus is there and he knows how to protect her and care for her and he's not gonna take the best thing from her. She wants the best thing, she's gonna get the best thing and he's gonna protect that. And he'll do that for us. And listen, loyalty to Jesus first, it, it, it isn't a therapeutic option. It is a necessary and commanded aspect of discipleship. It is Pursuing loyalty to Jesus above all things is not an option. It's not a therapeutic, better way to live. It is his command. It is the only way we can pursue authentic discipleship. Can we put that slide up? Jesus says in Matthew, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter, we could put husband and wife, boss, coworker, more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And then he makes this promise. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, not for your sake, not for the other person's sake, but for my sake, you will find your life. Now, none of us are perfect at this. None of us are are gonna get this right in this life, but we need to know where the end zone is. You all remember that clip of the, of the guy who picks up the ball, right? It's in the 1960s. It's an amazing clip. It's beautiful. And there's a scramble on the field and he picks up the ball and it's just chaos everywhere. And this is the NFL, you know, 1965 or something. It's all, in, and he picks up the ball and he got, he's got the football and he just runs. Slow motion. He's so excited. And there's nobody following him. Like, no, but there are some people on his side, like starting to like wave their hands and scream and jump up and down and their faces don't look great. But he's like, why aren't you guys rejoicing? He's running to the wrong end zone. Like this literally happened. You can look it up on YouTube. 
running to the wrong end zone. It'll come up. Josh, are you looking at it right now? Don't do it. Don't pull it up right now. Just wait. So I'm just teasing you. But like, what I'm trying to say is God has patience for us to get this wrong. He knows that we are fallible. As James says, we all stumble in many ways. But don't make the mistake of not running towards the right end zone. Like, that's the direction to run. Right? We're not going to be perfect in this life. Steve told us the flesh will always war against the spirit. But that's the end zone. Can we put it up again? That's the end zone. Loyalty to Jesus above else. So let's run to that end zone. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to the 20, get to the 10. If we start on the 50, we get hit by a car tomorrow. Maybe we got to the 48. (laughs) But let's run to the right end zone. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. This can sound like an impossible call. Maybe worse, it can sound like slavery. But in our story, we see a picture of what Jesus means to do by this command. We see a Mary who is living out this call. She's given her heart to Jesus above anyone or anyone, anything else. And Jesus says she's getting a, the good portion. She's getting the good portion. That play in the meal. She's finding more fulfillment. She's finding more nourishment than anything in that kitchen, anything the world has to offer. And this is the paradox that Jesus asks us to believe, that though he asks us to lose our life for him, make him our greatest heart's loyalty, study him, listen to him, cry out for his help, give ourselves to him day after day after day, in doing so, we find real life. We find the best meal. In the Greek construction, we learn that uh, it's probable that Mary actually took the initiative to pull up and sit with Jesus. You can't see it as easy in the English, but, but we might imagine that Jesus comes to the door. This isn't in the Greek, but let's just use our imagination here to understand this Greek construction. And while Martha shouts out from the kitchen, hello, Jesus, Lord, find a Christian Make yourself at home. Olive oil, fish fry. We'll be ready soon. And we might hear Jesus say, okay, Martha, I'll get a cushion. But the Greek allows us to imagine Mary without any prompting from Jesus in this story, at least. The Greek actually implies she actively initiates coming out to see him. Maybe she was in the kitchen. She runs out of the kitchen, grabs a cushion, slides right up to Jesus leaves a halibut on the pan (laughs) and she just sits and says, Lord, can we spend some time together? I'm so glad to to see you. I'm so glad you're here. Can you tell me about you? Tell me some things about me. Tell me whatever's on your heart. Tell me. And and Jesus is like, sure. I'm so glad you want to talk with me and be with me. But, But something moved in her heart. She made a choice to come and sit. That choice came from somewhere. She wanted to be with Jesus. She wanted to hear from him. If you'd asked her, she would have told you that I didn't always want to be with Jesus. I didn't always want to hear from him. But over time, I'm just seeing this man. I'm getting to know him and I'm realizing he is wonderful. He is lovable. He is, he's good. He's a good man. He is desirable. He's the best Being with Jesus is really, really sweet to my soul. When I'm connecting with him, it's the greatest thing. It's like I'm connecting with the thing I was always made for. And in my best moments, I just want to be with him more than anything else. I just want to be near him, be with him, whatever I'm doing. Jesus says this is what will happen to anyone who seeks to put him first, who, who fights against their flesh to make him their treasure they will be satisfied with the richest affair. The Bible says, at your right hand are treasures forevermore. They will find rest for their souls. He will ask them to carry a cross every day, to re-up and renegotiate every day. Say, Jesus, I belong to you again today. I'm surrendering to you again today. Only by your spirit can I do this. Only through your blood can I do this. Oh, Lord, help me because it's going to be hard, but I'm doing it. 
and he will give life. He will give joy. He will make that cross an easy yoke somehow and a light burden somehow and he will give rest for your soul. This is his promise that if we lose our lives, we will find them. We will find them in him. And I know you can, many of you can testify to this reality and I can testify to this reality. But can't we also testify that this is hard to get up sometimes and, and give ourselves to him? It shouldn't be this hard, but it is. So what I want to do as we close here, I want to spend some time just praying for help to do this. And we can look at Mary's good example, but without the Holy Spirit, we can't follow her good example. But thank God Jesus has poured out his blood so we can have the power to follow her good example. So, so let's put up a couple of slides. We'll pray these things. I, I want you to know at the outset, we're going to take communion in a moment. We're going to pray some prayers here and ask the Lord to search our hearts here for a few minutes before communion. And I want to end in this place of prayer and communion because we're not saved by giving Jesus our attention. We're saved so that we can give Jesus our attention. We're not saved by our being loyal to Jesus. We're saved so that we can be loyal to Jesus. We're saved by his blood. Which atones for all the ways we fail in these areas. And by which we receive his spirit. Who gives us the power to love him as he deserves. So. I'm just going to leave those up. And let's just take a few minutes before communion. And pray these two things. Cry out to him. Lord help us see ways. Right now in our lives that we're anxious and troubled about many things. Maybe some really bad things, but even some really good things. And we're neglecting the one thing that matters. Giving our attention to you above all. And secondly, Lord, help us to see how we're giving our loyalties to anyone or anything more than you. Ourselves or others. Lord, show us that. Forgive us and cleanse us. And restore your rightful place. Those are the two prayers I would like to ask you to just take some time, quietness and and pray, I'll, I'll be praying too, and then we'll, we'll take communion in a, in a couple of minutes, okay?